lights, cameras, zigzag. Hello everyone and welcome to Bunker Mania Wrestling Goes to the Movies, our series of cinematic specials here on the Bunker Mania Wrestling Podcast. Inspired by the recent WrestleMania's Hollywood theme, we're taking a look at four films produced by WWE, starring WWE superstars, and seeing if they're actually any good. Hello there, I am, of course, the Decadane, your host for this big screen grapple, and I will be joined by a tag team partner who will be making their entrance in just a few moments. If you've been listening to the series so far and you've been enjoying these episodes, do tell a friend, leave a review, and shout us out on Twitter at Bunkermania UK. These episodes have been great fun. We've been enjoying diving into the weird and wonderful world of WWE movies. So if you, our lovely listeners, are enjoying them, we'd love to do more episodes of these in the future. So... Without further ado, let's bring in the tag team partner. And he's already been on the show already. He's always on the show most of the times because, of course, it is my delightful co-host. It is, of course, the giraffe Jeremy Graves. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm here to show the world, to show the world. What's the next line of a song? Come on! Woo! Yeah. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? I-, I am not doing a Dolph Ziggler impression because, quite frankly, that's actually impossible to do. I just want to imagine you just kind of doing like the Dolph Ziggler kind of strut, you know, like grabbing the jacket, doing the little sort of little twirl of the jacket before kind of throwing your arms, jumping around the ring and going, woo, the whole if show. My, if I can ever get to the point where I am comfortable with showing my chest to the public, <laughs> I may consider doing that. But given my current physical stature, that will not be happening. Unless someone makes me in, like, in 2K23 or something. There you go. Well, that, 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 that will be a fun challenge to do. I, oh, think, no. I, I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the benefit of our listeners, when, I, when, I, when usually a WWE 2K game comes out, I spend a while creating my own little roster of all my sort of convention friends, podcast friends, and streamer friends, and I make my own wrestling. I don't need any WWE superstars. I might borrow the odd one or two. But no, I want all my I want it all to be consisting of fictional characters and people that I vaguely know. <laughs> but now, what if you could recreate the film we're discussing today in 2K23? I mean, I'm gonna waste a lot of time on this, Jeremy. You I say mean, waste. <laughs> you you say waste. I say enjoy. No, let's <laughs> let's not dive in that right now. So today on the podcast, we are talking about 2016's Countdown, starring Dolph Ziggler and Kane. Um, and and more importantly, as the trailer will tell us, Rusev with a gun. But, spoiler. Spoiler. But we will, <laughs> I mean, it's in the bloody trailer. And it's probably on the artwork on the back of the box as well. Just like, look, it's Rusev. He's got a gun. He's got a gun. He's loaded. It's Rusev with a gun. Hide, everyone. <laughs> uh, but of course, before we dive into the film itself, we kind of look at where these wrestlers are at the point of time this film came out. So this came out in 2016 in April. And around this time, Dolph Ziggler, I think, was kind of, I think for the better word, kind of, just adrift in mid-card mediocrity, I suppose. I mean, there were times where he was featured as like a, a major star, like main events and stuff like that. But in 2016, he was just kind of, I think, just just treading water in a, sec- in, in a sense because it didn't really kick off for Dolph Ziggler until probably the summer towards the end of 2016 because we had the, uh, the latest brand split after Shane McMahon came back and Dolph went to SmackDown. And Dolph, all of a sudden became like the first major challenger for Dean Ambrose for the WWE Championship in SummerSlam. Ultimately, he did lose that match. Um, But towards the tail end of 2016, he actually got more, he actually really got involved in a really good storyline with The Miz, who had just kind of had his Daniel Bryan promo where he absolutely berated Daniel Bryan for like 10, 15 minutes on like talking smack and and his stock just suddenly elevated. And you had these really good matches between Ziggler and the Miz, including the one of the main matches at No Mercy, where basically if Ziggler did not win the Intercontinental Championship, he would have to leave WWE. Obviously, he won that belt and is still kind of with WWE because I mean, I mean, this time last year he was the NXT champion, which was a bit of a random tangent. Oh blimey, he was, wasn't he? Now you mentioned, yeah, that. yeah, he just somehow he somehow won it off Braun Breaker, held it for like three weeks, and then lost it on the Raw after WrestleMania. And Ziggler's just, again, just kind of been drifting about at the moment. I think he's doing some stuff with Mustafa Ali. I'm not sure how that's panning out on the Raw at the moment. I just haven't really been paying attention. He's doing that or stand-up comedy, one or the other. 
Yeah. Um, which is a shame because he is an excellent wrestler. And it's like, you see those, even the matches with The Miz back in 2016, they were really, really good matches as well. And it's like, I think it was just like the right feud at the right time. But it didn't main event No Mercy because No Mercy in 2016 was like a very weird pay-per-view because it opened up with the triple threat for the WWE Championship between John Cena, Dean Ambrose, and AJ Styles because there was a presidential debate going on on the same night. So they wanted to get the main event out of the way <laughs> so people can go and watch Trump and Clinton debate, which I'm sure went very, very well. Oh um, my word. <laughs> The main event, as far as I can remember, and I might be wrong here, I think the main event of No Mercy 2016 was Kane against either Bray Wyatt or Luke Harper. One of them, and the other one came back. I think it might have been Bray Wyatt. I am on... Uh, cards on the table. I'm on the Wikipedia page for, for No Mercy 2016. Mm. I can confirm that the first match on the main show was AJ Styles v. Dean Ambrose v. John Cena. Mm -hmm. Can confirm. AJ retained. Uh, correct. Uh, the main event, which match did you say you think it was? It was Kane versus either Bray Wyatt or Luke Harper. Incorrect. Oh, was it Kane though? No. <laughs> oh, was it Dolph Ziggler versus The Miz? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> what's going on i'm telling you what i see what does it say on wikipedia according to wikipedia it says that the main event was bray wyatt defeating randy orton so according to the description we're really going off topic here but i'm not fussed. i know in the final match randy orton fought bray wyatt during the match orton attempted an rko on wyatt but wyatt countered by throwing orton over the broadcast table Wyatt attempted Sister Abigail on Orton, but Orton countered with an RKO attempt, only for Wyatt to counter into a Uranagi slam for a near fall. Outside the ring, Wyatt draped Orton over the steel steps and attempted a running senton, but Orton rolled off and Wyatt went crashing onto the steps. In the climax, Orton executed an elevated DDT on Wyatt and attempted an RKO, but the light went out and a returning Luke Harper appeared in the ring distracting Orton, Wyatt executed Sister Abigail on Orton to win the match. I knew I knew it was Bray Wyatt or Luke Harper involved. I I was I was because I know they I know they were feuding with Kane around that time because there were a couple of matches around SmackDown where they were where they were battling. So do it do it because I think is this like the oh no no it's 2015 they had the um Wyatt family versus brothers of destruction after Hell in a Cell after Brock Lesnar. Uh yeah. So I'm just going off. I'm just kind of going off on a tangent there because I'm just going. Oh yeah, that that kind of happened. That sort of happened. Oh, you know what this led to though. Now I'm just reading like the, what the aftermath was. It mentions on here that uh, the after this because I thought it was around this time when I was thinking about it. Randy Orton joined the Wyatt family. Yes, yes, and we had a really good storyline there, which. Clearly didn't pay off well at WrestleMania the following year <laughs> with the projected bugs. And then mm. you also have the, <laughs> the the House of Horrors match with the haunted yes. tractor. <laughs> so what we're trying to say, folks, is that Dolph Ziggler was stuck at match six on a pay-per-view that wasn't headlined by its main event. Yeah, it should have really been Dolph versus The Miz as the main event because I think the audience were a lot more invested in it than, say, Bray Wyatt versus Randy Orton. Um, if if the WWE Championship match was definitely not open, uh, definitely not closing the show. Uh, so, but yeah. Randy Orton's the biggest star, so I totally get it. Yeah, true, true. I do have one more trivia note about this pay per view for you. Unlike the majority of WWE pay per views at this time, I'll add as a bit of a little editorial thing there. No Mercy 2016 was not released on DVD or Blu-ray, which I'm assuming was in the US. There must have been a UK DVD release of that. There must have been. They, unless there's a there's a serious reason why not, they would always release it. I mean, I'm looking at the card. I mean, there's nothing there that tells me they wouldn't. They wouldn't release it. I mean, you also had. I mean, looking at this card, Nikki Bella defeated Carmella. Heath Slater and Rhino retained against the Usos. My word, what a result! Baron Corbin, still with long hair, I think, defeated Jack Swagger before he got his hat. Or Jack H is it Jack Hagen now, isn't it? Uh, and then Naomi defeated Alexa Bliss. I can't, I can't find reference to a UK DVD of it, but it could just be it's not no longer in print. 
So what we have come to the conclusion of, based on that tangent there, is that Dolph Ziggler was just kind of swimming around in a bit of mid-card mediocrity, if you will, being stuck in a feud with The Miz, but also the fact that um, he couldn't even main event a pay-per-view that was head-to-head with a presidential debate. Yeah, that, that's that's a bit of a bummer, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, me thinking Kane was on the card and then discovering that Kane wasn't on the card just kind of tell, just kind of points out where Kane technically was. I mean, he became... He wasn't there. That's where he was. He wasn't, he, he wasn't there, but he also became... He, he returned to being classic Kane towards the end of 2015 because he, he stopped classic. being caught... He stopped Sorry. being corporate Kane. He went from corporate Kane to classic Kane. Tried to win the championship of Seth Rollins at Hell in a Cell the previous year. Didn't didn't do that. But um, I think it was the last title defense before Rollins blew his knee out in during the UK tour, and they had to vacate the belt. And we had the Survivor Series, which led to that, which led to Roman Reigns' like five minute reign. <laughs> I feel the need to point out that classic Kane sounds like WWE want to give him. The name Vintage Kane, but they couldn't because they realized it's Michael Cole's catchphrase. Oh. And it's come up with another word. So it's like, I'm just call him like it's like at WrestleMania recently when Edge came out with brood edge on the Titan Tron. <laughs> and instead of this time, they just have classic Kane. Oh, classic. It's like, it's like classic Kane. It's like classic Coke, just with fire and a choke slam. It's a bit like what it feels like when you try to down a can of Coke, basically. Pretty much. Pretty much. Especially if you've got acid reflux. It's not really nice at all. <laughs> <laughs> We're going off topic. <laughs> so, so when so when it comes to this film, then you said it was released around April time. Was yeah. was there like a general sort of perception of what this film was? Like, did it get a good reaction from what you found out? Uh, we'll we'll dive into it a little bit later on in in the show. Okay. But suffice to say, audiences were not infused. But just rewinding back to Ziggler and Kane, because obviously in this part of the show we also look at the wrestlers' own acting careers as well now for ziggler this is his first actual credit like proper leading starring credit in any film to be perfectly honest so pretty much up until the release of this film wwe performer also well documented he does stand up in his spare time as well because i mean they cover that quite a bit on a few things like total like total divas total bellas and stuff like that. it's certainly been acknowledged i think is one way yeah it's been it's been acknowledged so he's kind of like even though he's not necessarily wrestling all the time now, he still has those side little gigs there and there and here and there and everywhere. In the complete opposite direction, Kane is no stranger to movies. He has had a couple of main credits. Most importantly, uh, Jacob Goodnight in See No Evil in 2006 and the follow-up See No Evil 2 in 2014. Uh, he also had a little cameo role in MacGruber, uh, the MacGyver parody. He was Tanker Lutz as part of like the special forces team that McGruber was putting together. There was also uh, Jericho, as far as I can remember, I think also Big Show and maybe Mark Henry. I might be wrong there. They all were going to help him out and then they all blew up in a van. Um, <laughs> he's also he's also had like a, a small television role in Smallville in 2007, playing Titan in the episode called Combat. And he also appeared as himself in Scooby-Doo WrestleMania Mystery, the first animated WWE Scooby-Doo film. Um, so yeah, that's, that's Kane. Kane's a bit more Kane's a bit more established in the world of acting, more just being terrifying evil man rather than just being Fespian extraordinaire. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where they kind of that's where they kind of were. They were both kind of treading water as as performers. I mean, Kane was kind of one foot in the door, one foot out the door because obviously now he is the mayor of Knox County. Um, so yeah, just, yeah, it's just like, it's at this time they, they had, they clearly had nothing better to do than to star in a film. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we now move on to our key first bit about talking about countdown. And this is when I've done quite a bit of talking. I'm going to turn it over to you, Jeremy. Oh no. <laughs> um, what, what is, what is the plot of this film? A young boy is kidnapped and is effectively being held for ransom the motives of the kidnapper are, it is revealed during the film, it's kind of more like a, what's phrased actually directly in the film as a sort of blood revenge, because there's a bit of a family dynamic to it, but we, we're mainly following the police and their escapades, specifically the character played by Dolph Ziggler, who I think his name is Ray, if memory serves, despite the fact, Pete behind the curtain, everyone, I literally watched the film an hour ago before we're recording this, and I barely remembered that. Just saying. For the second time as well, I should point <laughs> out, because that's how much I care. 
But yeah, so we're following the escapades of the detectives trying to figure out where this child is. And there are sort of many twists and turns along the way. Some of them actually moderately interesting, at least. Some of them, you're just kind of like, all right, sure. <laughs> is the way I'll sum that up. But, but that, that, that's kind of the crux of what the film is about. Yes, yes, pretty much. So Dol- Dolph Ziggler, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a troubled cop. He's a great maverick cop, but he's got a troubled past and he's got a tragic past as well. He's, he's clearly grieving over the death of his own son, which we see in like the first, first 15 minutes of the, of the film. He kind of goes to his ex-wife's house, just sits in the child's bedroom, complete with poor, poor, poor man's evanescence playing in the background of him just kind of yearning, going, why is my son, where is my son gone? Why have I lost my son? And that sort of stuff. And this all kind of comes to about because he's also been getting like this sort of stalkerish mail repeatedly by someone who keeps sort of sending him threats and that. And and, and being the great detective that he is, pays no attention to it whatsoever, or just kind of goes, nah, I'll deal with it later. Not important. And then lo and behold, as you say, they discover that in the latest sort of letter, oh, this kid's been kidnapped and has a bomb strapped to him. Oh no, we only have but such amount of time to go find him. Um, and yes, and uh, Kane plays captain of the force, who doesn't like Ziggler at all, pretty much. Pretty much, basically, Kane just plays like the generic angry cop chief that you see in every buddy cop or cop actioner, who's just angry that the cop is doing their job, or the cop is doing their job, but in a very unorthodox way. And it's so much that he almost breaks desks. So I'm on the IMDb page for this film now. Would you like to know the name of Kane's character? Because I I genuinely do not recall the name of his character being mentioned. Well, I I just know him as the captain, but what is his name? According to IMDb, he is known as Lieutenant Cronin. (laughs) Which almost sounds like crony, because that's kind of what he is in the film. I, I mean, all he does, all he does, is just get angry at Ziggler and just gets more and more angrier to the point. By the end of the film, he goes, "Oh, I've got angry for for all nothing. Ziggler's actually a good cop. Never mind. Carry on. High five. Freeze frame. All that sort of stuff. <laughs> That's besides the point. Um, so, so yeah, that, this is kind of so. It's like it, it is a. It's supposed to be a fast paced action thriller, race against the clock. I mean, it really doesn't feel like a race against the clock, considering how much happens in this film. Um, but I think we should I think we should pretty much draw attention to one of the key selling points of this film. And if you've seen the trailer and you've looked at the back of the box and all of that, this is one of the key selling points. Basically, some of this is going down at a WWE live event. And it's like, oh my word, they're actually going to set an action film during a WWE live event. It's going to be like sudden death. It's going to be like that John claude Van Damme film. And Dolph Ziggler's going to have to save the wrestlers from evil, angry bomber. And the WWE show portion of the film lasts, I think, about 10 to 15 minutes. Because basically, they just use it as a ploy for a bag drop for money, which goes horribly wrong. Well, I, 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 okay, look, I'm sorry. We need to expand on this, if I may. Okay. Because the fact that we're going to an arena called the Coliseum... I mm-hmm. had to note down. It's like, okay, you know what? Good name. Someone thought about this. And this is in Seattle, apparently. The entire film is set in Seattle, it should be said as well. Mm-hmm. Which uh, they do by, 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 as I have written down here, having the most generic rock song to start the film with the most generic default shots of Seattle you could find online. <laughs> Someone's been buying stock footage. And now, another thing which really kind of sets the bar for what kind of film you're in, is some of the dialogue we get uh, very early on in the very first scene of the film. And the reason I'm drawing attention to this is because, one, I laughed so hard at something that happens in this opening scene. But we're getting someone talking in Russian, and uh, in the way I was watching this on, on a streaming service, I was thinking, oh, maybe this is meant to be subtitled. I should turn the subtitles on. You know you're in for a good film when the exact subtitle that comes on in the closed caption simply says, quote, Nikolai continue speaking in other language, quote. (laughs) His dialogue's not important right now, Jeremy. He's just speaking in Russian. Let him speak. And then he's going back and forth into English and Russian, including like just kind of berating one of his underlings simply by saying, stop drinking coffee and go back to work. And the guy quickly puts his cup down safely and runs away. 
Always think about safety. Safety is always important when you've got a hot beverage. Very. Hey, if WWE has taught you anything, coffee causes problems. Yes. Literally. But now, the reason I'm mentioning all of this is to build up to what we get to. Arguably one of my favorite scenes in the whole film, which is not saying very much. Because Dolph, Dolph's character, Ray, I think it is, and his partner, Kendricks, who we come to learn is a bit of a dick. They, they both enter this reception area where this this guy, Nikolai, who is one of the, the antagonists of the film, kind of like a Russian weapons dealer and such, they walk into this reception area and we get the thrilling dialogue as follows. Dolph's character saying, we're looking for Nikolai. An underling nearby just says, who are you? Dolph's character, Ray, responds with, the guy's looking for Nikolai. The underling says, what do you need him for? Dolph's character, Ray, responds with, some business. Such thrilling dialogue really sets the scene <laughs> for what you are about to watch for the next 85 minutes at this point. What are you here for? Business. What type of business? Business. So it's basically someone's just hammered out the screenplay in their sort of like bedroom, just going, oh yes, what are they going to say? Well, they're here for something. They're here to meet him. What for? Business. What type of business? You don't need to go into much. You don't need to go into detail. Business covers a lot of ground. It could cover weapons. It could cover drugs. It could cover trafficking. All that sort of stuff. Let's just say business. You're right. I'm going to write it down. Oscars, here we come. <laughs> but then this leads to arguably one of the best moments in the film. When Nikolai comes out of his office and he clearly thinks that Dolph's character, Ray, that's how I'm going to call him the entire time because I can't remember his actual name unless I say it like that. But Dolph's character, Ray, He's there with his partner, Al Kendricks, who for some reason, that name I can remember. Why? I just do. I don't know. That's how my brain is wired. But Nikolai is saying in Russian to his, to his compatriots, that other guy's a cop, isn't he? And we get this big back and forth between, he's a cop. No, he's not a cop. I've barely known him a week. He set up the deal. He's clearly a cop. And in the end, Dolph's character, Ray, just shoots him in the chest. And I laughed so hard. <laughs> so so hard for this because already I didn't like this his partner's face. There's just something about it that made you think, oh, you're just gonna be annoying, aren't you? And then he's seemingly off in the opening scene. You're thinking, oh, okay. Then we fast forward that the whole deal is done and whatnot. Dolph gets loads of weapons off the street. The partner appears and just punches Dolph in the face. And then Dolph is just like, hey, he thought you're a cop. So I shot you in a place where you wouldn't die. And he's like, you barely got on the freaking bulletproof vest. And then Dolph <laughs> doesn't even apologize. And that kind of properly at that point really sets the tone for what his character is like. Just no nonsense, get the job done. But to come back to the scene that you were mentioning now to help tie this in, to help you be able to move on, because I appreciate in the edit, you're going to be wondering when the heck is Jeremy going to end this soliloquy of his. We then actually go to Dolph's character, Ray. <laughs> can't not say it like that we then get him going to his as we come to find out later his ex-wife's house and is in the bedroom of who we come to find out his son deceased son and he's reading a book as though he's reading a bedtime story he's had a few beers and there's a genuinely really deep kind of heartfelt moment where not much is said but you get exactly what's going on and mm. the emotion put across in it and so within just like the first 10 minutes of the film, you've got this really unique aspect of Dolph's character explored, whereby he's clearly no nonsense. You probably kind of get why, because clearly his son's passed away. At this point, we don't know why. But then when we do find out later, it kind of becomes clear why he's pretty much Mr. No Nonsense when it comes to what he does. So I thought mm. in terms of how they actually set up the character... While a little bit convoluted in some ways in the first scene, the way they went about it, it does actually make sense. And yeah, like you said, this then leads to them going to the Colosseum. But I did kind of want to highlight that to give people no that idea. No worries. I kind of think, I think, despite the fact I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of this film, but I think Dolph does give it a go, which is nice to see. And I think sometimes that's what you want to see when the wrestlers are trying these movies. You want to see them give it a go. It's kind of like how we talked about uh, with the condemned, where Stone Cold didn't necessarily feel like he was the Stone Cold that we knew him from the ring. Now, obviously, we talked about obviously it could be down to direction, it could be down to how it's done in the script, all that sort of stuff. But 
no, you kind of you kind of get the sense that Dolph is supposed to be a little bit unhinged. He's got he's he's determined to get the job done regardless of what happens. Agreed completely. But it's but it's it kind of feels I think as the film goes on, I think the story kind of balloons into a little bit of absurdity a little bit because there it, to me it does come across more like an episode of 24 but poorly and cheaply but we we will touch on that a little bit later on but yeah if we go we go back to the we go back to that the WWE house show bit here exactly yeah. and and this and like i said just before before we went off and talked about the opening film this is a heavily market in the trailers and everything because i think i did this on one of my own personal streams over on the decadane channel and i think you were part of the audience first well we watched the trailer and all of this trailer is about there's got to be a bomb at the WWE show. You've got to pay us the money or everyone goes boom. And you go, okay, this whole film is set in the WWE show. And it's not. And it's kind of like, okay, where are we going? We're going somewhere else now. Oh, great. Because basically tries to tries to pay off the, the kidnapper. The kidnapper, I think, actually gets shot and killed anyway. And then it's kind of like, oh, we've got to find the bomb and the kid. And we've only got but five hours. Which also begs the question, what time was the WWE show on to begin with? Because it all just seems like it was early in the morning. I think one of the things we need to really touch on, though, is this WWE show they allegedly (laughs) say they're at. (laughs) Because we get some, you know, establishing shots of the arena. We see the ring crew building everything. We see them building an entranceway. You mean the raw stage? No, no. An entranceway. We see them building an entranceway. And then we go backstage, we see some people warming up, like uh, the the then Daniel Bryan warming up his legs and stuff, the then Dean Ambrose doing some push-ups, the big show kind of using one of his stretchy rubber band things and breaking it, which was very amusing. Mm. But then we get to the point where Dolph's character, Ray, has to then go up to the ticket booth to, to collect his ticket that this mysterious person has left when you know, they're trying to do the bag drop to try and get info about where this kid with the bomb strapped him is. And he gets the ticket. He's all wired up with cameras and stuff. And then he just walks into the building with a bag <laughs> full of literally, I think, hundreds of thousands of dollars in it. I think no one million. searches him. No one bats an eyelid at him. He goes to his seat. Someone is in his seat. He tells them to move. The guy has got the reaction of, oh, fine. It's like, it's like your seat, buddy. Move. <laughs> so then Dolph sits down he has like he gets his phone or he has a phone left there and he's getting little messages from the crook telling him I can tell you've got cops here send them away there's the guy right behind you to your right and of course it's the guy who Dolph shot like in the previous scene and he just goes on the wire and just says like he knows your hair your cover is blown go away <laughs> and the guy's mm. like oh man oh shucks but then the reason I mention this is because he's then told, go down to the front row through aisle 36 and leave a bag there. I would never go to this building if they let someone walk down effectively from the upper tier of the building all the way down to the lower tier onto the floor level to the front row and just left a rucksack there and went. It's the most sketchiest thing I've ever seen inside a building, let alone a wrestling event. I think it's safe to say that their security is pretty lacking in this film. I wrote, it was so lax, all caps. That's what I wrote. <laughs> it was so lax that eventually, I think when the kidnapper picks up the money, he goes to a little jaunt and he just, just breezes through security very quickly to go backstage. But the key that's detail where... as well, to this as well, is to, to demonstrate we're at a WWE show, during all of that that I described, they're showing a couple of entrances. We kind of maybe get like 30 seconds to a minute worth of the New Day entrance. And we, we, we see the entrance for about 10 seconds throughout all of that. But then the Ascension are coming out. Their entrance lasted the entire scene I just described. <laughs> <laughs> they barely moved down that entrance ramp based on how they edited it together. And th- there's also other little details as well that you can kind of see the ringside area set up. You've got like just the really kind of cheap looking barriers that you get like if you're standing outside of a gig and you're queuing up and whatnot. 
You've got those kind of barriers, but that changes a short time later when we suddenly see Brock Lesnar appear and suddenly it's the full TV quality production with Raw logos everywhere, Pyro, and it's a different barrier. Clearly a different arena. Clearly a different arena. And also it's a clear lie because Brock Lesnar will not be doing the house show unless it's Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we saw like the Raw set as well, which was not the set they built. Yes. This movie's lying to us, Jeremy. I don't like it. It makes utter, me sad. Utter I'm... lies. But that's ne- not where... Next you're gonna t- Go on. You're next you're going to tell me wrestling's fake. I mean... Well, the other thing <laughs> I will mention now is this escalates in the, the bad guy switches the bag because there's a tracker in it and a big chase unfolds after a cop is shot. We presume dead. We never find out. Just officer down. We don't know if that guy's alive, so we'll never know. Maybe that'll be in a trivia note on IMDb. Who knows? We'll find out later, I guess. So we get this chase going through various areas of the building. Seemingly, as well, just by a random John Cena signing, based on the amount of John Cena t-shirts we see people wearing, where a security guard is just shot point blank in front of a load of kids. And then, of course, this goes to perhaps the biggest promotional moment of the film in the trailer. Brace yourself, everyone. When suddenly... I don't remember the character's name. I think it was Pavel, his surname, the, the, the villain who we're trying to chase down. He mm. he runs past Rusev, who is doing a warm-up, and then Dolph, Dolph's character, Ray, appears and tries to run past Rusev while, while he is holding a gun. And also should be noted that Dolph's character at this point, because of his actions of shooting his now former partner, he's basically been stripped of all his rights, but for the purposes of this case, he's back on, as it were. Mm. So it doesn't have his badge. And so Rusev sees him holding a gun and proceeds to just shoulder charge Dolph Ziggler (laughs) into a wall, which you see crumble and crack. But then the moment they cut to the next camera angle, the wall's totally fine. Just saying, by the way. But then this leads to a dialogue exchange, which unfolds as follows, Ian. Dolph's character, Ray, says, I'm a cop. And this is after he's been shoulder charged, as I described. Rusev responds with, show me your badge. And then Dolph I mean, responds with, hang on, hang on. Super kicks him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and then Lana's there and it's like, that's a real man. Or says something like that. So, <laughs> oh, That's how the weird angle started. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, yeah. Th- then... The reason I'm going into such detail is because, look, we're wrestling fans. This is primarily a wrestling-related thing as well. But yeah. the other thing that really demonstrates a big issue with continuity is they then go from being in the bowels of the arena, of the building, to then running up a couple of sets of stairs and being on the catwalk at the very top of the arena, over the top of everything. And we can hear the sound effects of crowd cheering the odd bump in the ring and whatnot. But then if you look at the way that they've shot they've shot the scene and they kind of pan across the catwalk, occasionally you can see below into the arena where it is one million percent empty. <laughs> There's not a single body there. There's not a single light going crazy. It's not that bright. It's just an empty arena. And they continue this charade that there are people enjoying a WWE live event there. It's complete, complete skullduggery, I tell you, that they fooled us like this. I'm not happy, how, Ian. How dare? How dare? And it's all done within 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, and then we have to go off with Dolph Ziggler as he goes around Seattle doing other things with with um, internal affairs Julia agent, Baker, uh, I believe her name is. Julia Baker, played by uh, Catherine, uh, Catherine Isabel who also appeared in See No Evil 2, I believe, mm-hmm. with Kane, uh, but also has had, also herself as an actress has had some very good, interesting sort of um, roles. Uh, plays the role of Ginger Fitzgerald in Ginger Snaps, which is a very popular cult werewolf movie, as far as I remember, back in 2000. Uh, other roles include uh, roles in Insomnia in 2002, uh, Freddy vs. Jason 2003. Uh, I'm just looking through down here, on this list down here. Uh, Bad Times at the El Royale as well. That's one of the more recent ones. And uh, also, I think for cult horror fans, again, American Mary is also quite a popular uh, role as well. Uh, so, yes, there she, she, she's, the, she's the hard, hard, 
hard-nosed internal affairs that doesn't like Dolph as well. She doesn't like Dolph's methods. But you know what? By the end of all this, they're going to be the best of friends. Maybe even more. Who knows? Her character development in the film is probably one of the more notable things about this, in that she does Mm. really start off as, she even says it like, foolish as I might be to believe it, I trust the system. And that's why she does the job that she does of making sure everyone follows the rules and stuff. But she realizes that Dolph's character, Ray, just actually genuinely wants to help, even though knowing his career is probably all but over after helping with this case, given what he did previously. Mm-hmm. And other things we come to find out as well. So she kind of starts to lighten up and wants to help a bit, and they become a, an interesting duo. But this, of course, can only form after a conversation on top of the catwalk after the bag drop guy has been shot point blank in the head because he was about to call the, the mobile phone number that would have set off the bomb attached to the child. Breathe, Jeremy. <laughs> so this is the conversation we get when. When Julia Baker asks Dolph's character, Ray, what are you doing? Ray responds with, am I reinstated? Julia says, no. (laughs) Ray Ray says back, under arrest? Julia says, no. Ray says, then that's my own fucking business. And And off he goes. (laughs) La-dee-da. I mean, it's like, I've just saved the day. Did I win? No. Oh, Exactly. But, but yeah, it, it's interesting her character development as well, because they we end up seeing them being together for a scene. I think they're in a tattoo shop and there's a big schmoz in there trying to figure out who this guy is that Dolph, Dolph's character, Rake, had to kill to stop the bomb from exploding. Mm. And then this actually leads into what I think is one of the more interesting plot elements of the film. In that Julia has been told by Dolph to like, look, go to this area of the city, show people the photo, see if anyone recognizes a picture of the boy. And someone does. And takes them to a block of flats, which is like being run by just a slumlord who doesn't care about his tenants. And it actually leads to a point where she really starts to demonstrate how much she cares about people. And that Mm. she threatens to, to the slumlord just basically going, look, if I knock on a couple of these doors, I can make three or four phone calls, and in a day, this place is done. because All because you don't care about your tenants. So she really now starts to come through as someone we should actually like after the, the initial time, the initial scenes, I should say, excuse me, of her coming across as a bit of a hard-ass, quite frankly. So her character development come the end of the film, it's definitely one where you're like, yeah, she can stay. She's all right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think during, around during this point, Dolph Ziggler's gone off to become Jack Bauer uh, yes. because he he as 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 she's doing some more investigation work, trying to find out more about the kid. Dolph Ziggler's gone off to the Russian consulate and basically he's gone in with a gun. And in my notes, I have written, "Dolph, this is how war starts." And then a few minutes later, when bullets have already flying and people are injured, in big capital letters, "Dolph, this is how war starts." So. <laughs> So he's kind of, he's, he's really gone. To me, he's really gone chat bow and gone, I'm going to get answers. I know it's something to do with this Russian gang and this and this possible Ukrainian gang. I'm going to go get answers. And I'm going to get answers my way. And just just barge into a, barge into a, a foreign country's sort of uh, sanctity and just start shooting up the place. So if I may give a quote now, because I like to write down quotes. I think it emphasizes the dialogue of the film. Yes, we have a we have the Russian consulate, if you will. I'm not going to do the accent, obviously, but they say, "I'm the Russian consulate general. I have diplomatic immunity." <laughs> and Dolph's response to this is to grab a fountain pen, stab him in the leg with it, <laughs> twist it around a little bit, and just go, <laughs> "Funny, you don't look immune." And, and and within three and within five blissful seconds, all sensible logic has gone out the fucking window. <laughs> if I may add to the sensible logic here, I wrote down, I wrote down. You described it best, like uh, pretty much what I said. Like you know, Dolph is trying to start war because autocorrect is what it is, and it doesn't just like the name Dolph in my notes. It's autocorrected my note here to say we are now at the scene where dolphins cause World War Three. <laughs> I mean, how how on earth FBI, 
CIA, the national, the secret, the secret service, whatever the higher levels of US government haven't come down on Dolph Ziggler going, how dare you storm this Russian consulate? It's just, <laughs> oh my word. It's like I said, Dolph Ziggler is basically the poor man's Jack Bauer here because he's done, he does a lot. He does the shooting. He, he gets, he gets arrested by his own, his own friends again. He has to break out of prison by smacking the guy that we all know. We didn't, we know we don't like at the start of the film. What was his name? Uh, Al Kendrick. Smacking Al's head into why the table be- <laughs> because Al's a dick. That's why we remember that. Uh, and then having a little scuffle with Kane who throws him around like it's a wrestling match. Wait, uh, <laughs> but this is the key thing though as well like because you mentioned he got arrested by his own peers this is also the point where we find out that his department have set him up to try and get him to basically go to prison even though he's trying to help save the day which in itself is like a <laughs> all right sure plot point and also this is the first time at this point when he's like breaking out and trying to get out of police hq this is the moment when Dolph Ziggler's hair finally comes loose for the first and time. It br- and it blows in the breeze for a few short moments. And then Kane punches him and throws him around. And then he gets shot with a rubber shotgun bullet. Three times. Once in the chest, mm. once in the shoulder, once either in the nuts or groin. Take your pick. And yet Dolph Ziggler still keeps going because we, we leave, because we, we go from like Russian consulate to like police station. And then we're off to a quarry of all places because that's where the baddie apparently kind of worked to begin with. He, he according, to the, have... according to the what I've written down as corrupt owner of the quarry, uh, apparently uh, the guy who had been killed, whose name I did actually write down, Vladislav Pavel. Uh, apparently okay. he worked there on the night shift, we're, we're told. So he okay. would have access to the entire quarry. Yes. And then, yeah, we have more Russian and Ukrainian gangs sort of turning up, fighting. Dolph blows up a car with grenades because you do well no no no, <laughs> no, 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 we, no just... we, need, we need to clarify this because the big the, the sort of the russian villain at the start of the film who dolph like ended his well seemingly ended his weapons trade and then we come to find out he's just lying by the pool a few scenes later oh yes nikolai comes back there you go he, try, he, try, he tries to take out nikolai and his wife goes hey no and starts shooting at him with a giant magnum gun it's mental as you do in america exactly actually fair but um but then when we get to this big, what I have written down as a slightly dramatic car chase. <laughs> slightly? Yes. Cars so, blow up, Jeremy. It's yeah. not slightly. Yeah, but we have to get to this point first. But ultimately, <laughs> Nikolai is off because he's like trying to throw a grenade. But then I think the car hits a speed bump or someone, like his driver gets shot. And he drops the grenade in the footwell of the car. And he's trying to find it and ultimately grabs it. And then the car explodes. The most dramatic of deaths in what I did write down as a slightly more dramatic car chase. This all kind of comes to head when we discover that the bomb of the child is at police headquarters in like one of the lower levels. So basically we have to clear out and Dolph has to do the heroic thing of find the child, get the bomb off the child, and then let the police station blow up as well. Um... (laughs) It was, just, it was just like, oh, he's at the police station. Oh, all right. Well, let's go get him. <laughs> yeah, because the way it's the way it's put across in the film is that, like, the, the, the internal the internal internal affairs part of the police. I don't know how it all works. I'm just going by what I think. Mm-hmm. They figure out that actually this uh, this uh, Vladislav Pavel guy actually did work at the police station as like a janitor type thing. And so he essentially snuck the kid in and has hidden him somewhere in the building. So once Dolph's character, Ray and Julia, are driving back now to the station to try and find the kid before, you know, everything explodes, they ring ahead and say, look, the bomb's in the building. We've got to evacuate the building. Make sure everyone's evacuated. We don't see them go into the basement. They find Anatoly hidden in a cupboard, quite literally. That Dolph picks him up is carrying him, almost like he's a cactus, but not. (laughs) And then they run up a set of stairs where most of the police department are waiting inside the building. And you kind of hear that reaction from Julia and Dolph of, why are you here? Get out the building! (laughs) 
but 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 coffee and donuts no out out or else <laughs> slowly slowly curse to come outside into the sun <laughs> i think i think kane just looks at, is slightly miffed at the same time like all right fine He's like, we'll leave the police station. You deal with the bomb. He's like, I shot you with three rubber bullets. You punched me in the nuts. I'm not happy with you. (laughs) (laughs) But they end up going to the forensics lab and manage to manage to free Anatoly. And then Dolph runs with 10 seconds to go before Ian. Now we're told that this bomb has a radius of maybe like 40 yards or so. It could cause a lot of death and destruction if it's in a higher element of a building, a higher story, if you will. One would assume it's going to cause a lot of damage. And what do we get? We get what I described as a very basic and anticlimactic bit of green screen explosion out of a singular window. (laughs) Like, do we have the budget to destroy the windows? No, no, no. Just this one. Okay. So a bit of a wet fart of an explosion. That's what it was. And uh, also, I, I have a challenge for anyone who wants to watch the film. In that by the time Dolph's character Ray finds Anatoly, the young boy, right until the final scene of the film, if you want a drinking game, Take a shot every time Dolph says says the word buddy. (laughs) Because he's constantly saying to the child, are you okay, buddy? We're going to get you out, buddy. Go this way, buddy. Oh, let's move, buddy. Like, buddy, we're going to be fine. I promise you, buddy, it's all going to be good. Hey, buddy, you're doing really good. Just hold still. It's going to be a little bit cold, buddy, when I shoot this nitrogen oxide or whatever it is to try and freeze the bomb. Are you okay, buddy? Let's go, buddy. Like, the amount of times he says buddy, it's like, that's a drinking game waiting to happen. But he just wants to be someone's buddy. Can't he just be someone's buddy, Jeremy? Maybe it's a buddy cop thriller. Oh. <laughs> but yes, bomb goes off. Dolph walks out. Everyone's kind of surprised and kind of pleased at the same time. Kane just goes, I hate you, but God damn it, do I respect you. All through those lines. And they have like a nice handshake. And then Dolph just walks off and the film ends. Oh, no, no. You miss a crucial detail. What's that? Because then Kendricks is there. And I think oh, I yes. think says something. Oh, yes. <laughs> and Dolph gets another bit of comeuppance. He just punches him in the face. And then he goes splat on the car and Kane basically goes, I didn't see anything. And then Dolph starts walking off. I'm not going to say into the sunset. Uh, into the street. And then we get what I described as cheesy Nickelback song style starting. <laughs> But clearly not Nickelback this time. No Chad Kroger for Dolph. Hundred percent, no. It was definitely not. <laughs> but um, but that that was how the film concludes. And I sort of, even having watched it a second time, because Pete behind the curtain, folks, we were going to record this a little while ago, but life happened, so we we're recording it when we are now. So I thought, okay, I want to watch it again. I want to make sure it's in my brain because I lost my original notes. And then I kind of got to the end of this film, and I thought, I've wasted three hours of my life on this film. <laughs> It's three hours I will never get back. But for the good of the podcast, I did it. And from what I can recall, my notes are pretty much identical. So I clearly oh, had enough. the exact same thoughts as I was going along. Oh, fair there. enough. Fair enough. I mean, I mean, I, I had a giggle at some of the silly, ludicrous moments of it. Obviously, Dolph going crazy in the Russian cold and slut. This whole, the whole sort of, the bits that just kind of just seemed very out of place. And, it, and like I said, felt like an episode of 24 just not really an episode of 24 in the slightest. Um, but no, it's, I think the intentions are there, but it's just, it's just not, it's not a great film. It's not really a fun film either. I mean, I don't feel bad about watching it like watching The Condemned. I'll say that mm-hmm. now. I don't come away feeling dirty on the inside. Um, <laughs> That's a fair statement, actually. It's a very fair statement. It's a fair statement, yeah. So it's like, yes, I, I I come away going, okay, that was a bit shit. But at least I'm not coming away going, oh, that was a bit shit. But also, I feel morally bankrupt now in that sort of way. Um, and it's and it's weird because I looked, we had a look at the director's uh, filmography, John Stockwell, and there are some notable films that you kind of think maybe he should have done a better job. Maybe I'm not sure because because we look through this. 
And um, so we got we got a couple of so there's a lot there's a lot. Here's also a thing. I think hiring someone who's known for doing like films set at the beach or on the sea probably is not what you want for a city thriller like Countdown, <laughs> because because he's a director of uh, Blue Crush. I believe Blue Crush is a surfing film with Kate Bosworth and Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, that came out in 2002. We've also got The Sexy Into the Blue with Sexy Paul Walker, rest his soul, Sexy Jessica Alba, Sexy Josh Brolin, Sexy James Fran, and all that sort of stuff. That's the hunting for treasure in the sexy sea. Oh, wait, that We've was got that. that was the... The way I'm going to describe this is weird. Wasn't that like the, in essence, teenage soft porn-like film for either genders at the time? Pretty much. I seem Pretty to recall. I, I remember I have watched that film. Heck, if I know when I watched it, but probably when it, probably I mean, when it came out. I mean, but. I mean, I, I mean, I'm looking at the poster, and the poster of Into the Blue is pretty much uh, a topless Paul Walker looking yearningly into the future above him, and Jessica Alba. Standing there in a bikini, also looking somewhat confused at what Paul Walker's looking at, while a diver is diving in between them into the blue. Ah. That sort of stuff. Into the blue. There's also Dark Tide in 2012. That's another kind of sexy on a boat on a sea thing with Halle Berry, Oscar winner Halle Berry, might I add, and uh, Oliver Martinez from SWAT, uh, the main baddie from SWAT, uh, dealing with a shark. Why not? <laughs> And and even even further down, he's the director of Kickbox Vengeance, and it's like Kickbox Vengeance with Dave Batista. <laughs> it all comes full circle, you might say. It all comes full circle. And on Claude Van Damme, you go from Kickbox Vengeance to Countdown, and it doesn't stop there. We go beyond Countdown into 2017's Armed Response, which is a Wesley Snipes directed DVD thriller where him and a crack team of special operatives go into a haunted prison complex, and one of his best buds is Seth Rollins. <laughs> which is going to be a film we're definitely reviewing in a future episode. Oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, right, like, when it comes to Countdown, I know I said like I've wasted three hours of my life. It's not it's not the worst film. Like you said, The Condemned, I felt really icky having watched it. Mm. There was some really just downright horrid parts of that and what was depicted. But this film, it's not bad. It's just if you literally have nothing else better in your life that you can put on to kill 90 minutes, as it were, you can do far worse. You're just not necessarily going to be paying attention. This is almost a definition of something very mindless that you could just put on and not take much notice of. Like if you're catching up with a friend who's come around to visit, you just put something on in the background and you keep sort of in a way zoning in and out of what's going on in the film. You, ba yeah. you barely notice. You just think you're in the same building most of the time. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean... I'm I'm happy that I went through the experience of watching Countdown for the sole pleasure of Rusev with a gun, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but uh, but I don't think I would return to Countdown so so eagerly, to be perfectly honest. Let alone watch it again for the second time, like you did. You could <laughs> say the timer has run out. <laughs> oh, the puns! But um, I've got some little tidbits, some little little performance and responses on this okay, one. I've got a few things so, I can add to it as well. Once you've gone through these, okay. So Rotten Tomatoes score. Uh, there's no critical rating because, of course, no critics have gone out and watched this or dared to even watch this. This was a straight-to-DVD Blu-ray release, by the way. It has a 34% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so that is rotten. And uh, from, from, uh, from the good site, The Numbers, I actually have the estimated totals of DVD and Blu-ray sales. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Estimated. It says estimated. So take it with a pinch of salt. Not even a definitive number. That's how well this did. It's like it's like I dread to think how much this film costs to make because I'm seeing the numbers and I'm going, oh. So uh, an estimated domestic DVD sale in the US of four hundred and sixteen thousand dollars. Uh, domestic Blu-ray sales of about hundred and five thousand um, dollars. So totally just just above half a million. In revenue on that. So if the film costs considerably a lot more, it's definitely not made its money back. Hmm. So yeah, I don't I don't think many people were infused about countdown. Or despite the, the high concept the, the high concept premise and the promise of anarchy at a WWE show, 
doesn't really add, doesn't really add. It's not one of those so bad it's good sort of things. It's one of those, it's it's just mediocre. At best. Yeah. <laughs> so according to IMDB, because they have like a little trivia page, as it were, and you, you've said already a couple of the trivia notes on here, like, you know, two of the actors having appeared in See No Evil 2, and, you know, this is Nick Nemeth, a.k.a. Dob Ziggler's film debut. The other two trivia notes on here, I believe, are fan-submitted trivia notes. <laughs> so I'm going to read these purely for an entertainment value here. So the first one is simply as follows, and warning. It says here, warning, these trivia items below may give away important plot points. Oh, no. Spoiler alert, everyone. The first one. When the black SUV explodes, all momentum is halted like the car was parked. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently, three of five people found this fact interesting. Wow. The other note on here is as follows. About 40 minutes in, they walk indoors up the stairs. Then it cuts to them walking indoor and up the stairs again with two different dialogues. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's what it says. Two out of three people found that interesting. (laughs) You wonder what on earth... I mean, trivia pages on IMDb, I like to kind of like have like hypotheticals of like oh they were trying to do this with the scene but turned out it didn't happen like this in the end or basically oh this person was first considered to play this role or they tried to bring in the Miz but the Miz was too busy that sort of stuff that's the stuff I don't want to know about just how a car exploded in a stationary position (laughs) now there is there are some user reviews on IMDB oh no would you like to hear at least one one of them or or um, I will. I we we have time for at least one. Okay, I'll give you the option. Would you like the lowest rated one is one star, the highest rated one? In fact, actually, you know, you know what? I'm just going to read the one star because it's not too long. But I think this may put across this person's feelings, as it were. Um. <clears throat> I'm sorry, but the film was just horrible. I watched it the other day and it felt like a 10-hour-long film rather than a less than two-hour one. The acting from the protagonist was so bad, I fell asleep several times watching it. Don't listen to the other reviewers. I have watched other WWE movies in the past, so the measuring stick for this movie wasn't that big going in. And despite that, this movie couldn't reach the top of it. There are other WWE res- There are other wrestlers in WWE, excuse me, who could be great actors if given the chance. But the promotion is very corrupt and biased, so only the backstage <laughs> favourites get that chance. I wish they would let someone that can act get an opportunity like this for once. <laughs> well, we, we went one direction, then we went completely a different one. And that review was posted on the 24th of April, 2016, so just after this was released. Oh, good. So they watched it and they were filled with bile for something. <laughs> Clearly Dolph wasn't world champion. That's why they were upset. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, it's so dumb. Oh, actually, wait. I think I might have to read this one. Hang on. So this is a 7 out of 10, okay? This will be the last one, I promise, before we'll start rapping. Oh, oh, someone really liked this one, so, then. Also written a few days earlier in 2016. Okay. For Dolph Ziggler's first feature film, I thought he did a pretty phenomenal job. Though I felt some of the moments he felt kind he, he kind of felt stoic and not portraying enough emotion. The emotional backdrop of Ray Thompson's loss of his son was one thing I thought he shined with. He's a bit of a natural. He's got it there, but just needs to improve and show that he can take show that he can take up a serious role. The story was absolutely intense, from the chases to the brawls to the crazy explosive escape. Everything was top there. It's no masterpiece, but it's another great cop film with a very tense premise and real-life atmosphere. My only disappointment... I know, right? My only disappointment was the WWE live event setting. I thought it was going to be the main setting of the entire movie, kind of like Sudden Death with Van Damme. All of the live action was just within the first act, but the last half of the movie was just as intense as the beginning. Countdown is great, but far from any action set masterpieces such as Die Hard. 
I give this a 7 out of 10. Oh, sweet child. <laughs> oh, dear. Then the review below well, it just simply says, 2 out of 10, pretty trashy. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fair. There are people out there who like who have probably watched Countdown and enjoy Countdown, and that's, that's great. People are entitled to enjoy what they like. I think, for me... As much as as much as I watched it for one reason, I didn't really enjoy it for the rest of the other stuff I watched it for. That makes no sense. But I think I made a point there. <laughs> yeah, if anything, though, those two reviews kind of give you the scale of how people will perceive it. Yeah, pretty much. So, we turn to the tier list. So, as, as listeners will be aware, we have five rankings this film could possibly fall into. At the very top, we have amazing also known as Must Watch. Second, we have Great. In the middle, we have OK. Towards the bottom, we have Disappointing. And the lowest of the low, which currently the Condemned currently sits at, is Terrible slash Avoid. Uh, the last episode, Bending the Rules, we actually placed that in the OK category because despite the fact it was, uh, despite the fact it was a very non, a kind of uncomplicated cop frivolity film with Edge and Jamie Kennedy, it was an hour and 20 and it's like it didn't have to say it's welcome so everything's fine so where do we put countdown i am currently thinking because it like i went in for the wwe show bit and it's only in it for a small amount of time so i'm i feel like it has to go in disappointing for me your thoughts so for the record, I'm not against that but what i will say is a little bit of a, of a counterpoint or a devil's advocate point of view is that's arguably down to the marketing of it mm. because the trailer very much implies it's going to be set at a wwe event and clearly the marketing team thought that's how we get butts on seats well that's how we get people to buy a dvd there you go that's probably the better way to put it so from that point of view you totally get why they honed in on that but watching the film as it is and given i've watched it twice now once having seen the trailer just beforehand once having not quite frankly if you just take it for what it is, it's it's just okay. It's not okay. it's not terrible by any means. If you wanted to put it in disappointing, I wouldn't disagree with you. I'll put it that way. But it's it's nothing above okay. Literally. Okay. Mm. Oh, okay. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no. I'm I'm I'm, agree- I'm going okay, and I've taken your thoughts. I'm not confirming it's okay just yet. I'm kind of. Mm, so downside WWE show isn't too good. The Good side is Rusev with a gun. Uh, <laughs> on, I mean, again, the WWE show was not, isn't it is only in there for five ten minutes. On the other side, Dolph Ziggler goes all Jank Bauer. I'm gonna lean with you, and I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna say it just, it just because again, it's a short film, and it, it is only worth watching once. Probably, I will skirt it just in the very 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 bottom of okay so it's technically a wait it can't be a highly disappointed hang on that's not the way to phrase it um <laughs> it's an okay disappointed it's a very it's a low level disappointment <laughs> it's a very low level disappointment but we get by because we enjoyed some of the stupid bollocks along the way so it's, ba- it's basically on the cusp of c minus or d plus yeah, I would be more inclined to give it a C minus. I, yeah. I think I think D's too harsh, yeah. to be honest, because it's like it's not a complete disaster. I mean, like I said, I think Ziggler does try. Kane's just there to be angry and gruff. Um, the Rusev bit is funny, um, and yeah, when when push comes to shove, it tries to do some stuff of action. It's just a bit disappointing considering the director's resume. It's not as kind of yeah, intense or kind of high octane as I thought it would be. So, yeah, it's still a little bit disappointing, but I can, I can, I'm happy for it to go in okay. I would say Bending the Rules is better than this. Yeah, sure. So that's me. Yeah, what I would say is when it comes to the director's output in this film, in some ways you can only work with the material you're working with. And given when you look at some of the scenes and there is like a reuse of locations, like the guy in the review said it, like they kind of use the same staircase at multiple points. Like there is a definite reuse of of locations in this and the way that they shot it. So you could argue the the perhaps lower budget of the film didn't help it by any means. So I think for countdown, it, it had a good it had a good oh well, trying to find a nice pun to go with countdown. 
I mean, don't confuse it with Countdown, the TV show, because Dolph Ziggler definitely isn't going to unjumble those letters. He ain't going to Dictionary Corner. We'll put it that way. Oh, no. Oh, Kane's in Dictionary Corner just breaking dictionaries. He's going, <laughs> I don't like Ziggler. I've got a word. Brimstone. <laughs> <laughs> and what's today's Countdown conundrum? Well, for the Countdown film from 2016, it is mediocre. <laughs> fair. Absolutely fair. There you go. There we go. That's a good way to sum up the film. Anyway, it's time to bring things to a close. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this little special into the world of wrestling movies. Uh, so that's, that's Jeremy's allotment of episodes for this first run done. So thank you so much, Jeremy, for joining me on the adventures of The Condemned and Countdown. So for our final episode in this first run of Bunker Mania Wrestling Goes to Movies, Harriet Green, a.k.a. Manga Girl, will be back with us very soon to talk about 2011's The Chaperone, a family comedy adventure starring Triple H as a convict trying to reconnect with his daughter. How does it go down? We'll find out in the next episode. But if you have enjoyed listening to this episode and you would like more wrestling-related content, then hit the podcast subscribe button to get fresh episodes of the Bunkermania Wrestling Podcast as soon as they're released. So in addition to doing Bunkermania Wrestling Goes to Movies, where we talk about movies, we also do uh, standard shows talking about WWE, AEW, and the world of wrestling in general. So if you would like to get those episodes into your podcast feeds as soon as they are released, hit the subscribe button and you will be the first to get them. And if you like video content, then follow Bunker Mania UK on YouTube for more content where we make predictions, review shows, and we talk about the latest goings on in the world of wrestling. There's always new content every week, even live streams as well. So do join me and Jeremy on there. And we'd also like to hear from you about you and your wrestling thoughts. What's your favorite WWE Studios movie? We'd like to know. Super kick an email over to contact at bunkermania.com. And with that, that's all we got time for. So this has been Bunkermania Wrestling Goes to the Movies with me, the Decadane, joined by Jeremy Graves. And until next time, stay safe, enjoy your movies. And remember, if you see Russo with a gun, just super kick him. It'll be all right. Good night. <laughs>